It is the 200 level from the basement. Mike Carpenter here for episode 72, Dispatches from a Quarantine. I don't think it's the title, but essentially that's what this podcast is going to be for the foreseeable future. Now, in terms of programming, what I do expect sometime this week at the latest next week is to finally figure out how we're going to do interviews. And when we get that, we can get Trevor and Isaac back on. I can get my old friend Steve Breitweiser part of the original 200 level from 93.5. I can get Lon Tay. I can get a bunch of people. Once I figure that out, it will probably be some sort of Skype method. But we will get that going because as much fun as I do have with the monologue podcast, it is that much more fun to have a conversation with somebody. So we will get that figured out. Secondly, of course, our sponsors, DP Doe is like many other restaurants right now, a place that you can order delivery. And they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And the great thing about DP Doe is that for the price point, it is ridiculously high quality and it will fill you up. And you can get some for the whole family. You can get some for yourself. We kind of need comfort food in a time like this. And DP Doe offers just that with their delicious calzones and sides. You can order online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices online at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Get 10% off your order with coupon code 200 level or the 200 level. And I know there's no sports going on right now, but you need a lot swag and no offense to Nike. They've been kind of dropping the ball as of late. So fourth for your vintage inspired Alani apparel. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, and in times like this, I try to trust the experts that know a little bit more about things than I do. Brian would be one such expert when it comes to insurance, and him and his whole staff, they're all Champaign-Urbana-based. Check them out online at brianismyguy.com. So what we're going to do, and this was thanks to a couple different tweets I've gotten, and I wish I could attribute them, uh, give them credit for this, and maybe after you listen, tweet me back and say, hey, Carp, I was the one that came up with this, but here's the idea is to have all the Lanai games on the TV as I'm doing these podcasts. Now, I'm not going to do play-by-play, but what I will do is use these old games as sort of a a jumping-off point, a catalyst for conversation about great Lanai teams from the past. And it just so happens, as I sit here on March 23rd, it is the 19th anniversary. I know that's kind of an arbitrary number. It's the 19th anniversary of when Illinois smoked Kansas in the Sweet 16. Now, of course, we know what happened two days later against Arizona, but let's not even think about that. Let's think about what was one of the more impressive Illini victories in NCAA tournament, or their NCAA tournament history, as right now Lucas Johnson goes to the line to try to extend this lead to 14 points. Now, here's where we're at. Two minutes, 40 seconds left in the first half, Illinois 37 to 23, and I decided to find this part on YouTube because this game is on YouTube if you want to check it out because that will give us an hour-long podcast to reflect and kind of talk about this game and that particular team. Again, that's a jumping-off point. It gives me some programming to talk about and will keep me a little bit focused as we go along for this next hour. Before we start getting nitty-gritty with this game, because I got a lot of memories from that 2001 season in particular, and as much fun, I know I've referenced the 1999 Big Ten Tournament as my sort of wake-up call, but I don't know if there will be another team quite like the 2000-2001 Illini team in terms of toughness, which I know is a John Gross buzzword, and we kind of see that word get used to death in sports, but that team truly embodied it. So I will do some reflecting on them as we go along. First things first, though, how are you guys doing? Okay, so we are now, what, about a week and a half into my own quarantine of sorts, where I think it was Friday, March, 
see when that would have been, I guess Friday the 13th. Yeah. So that has been now, what, 11 days since my own sort of quarantine. And yes, I've been to the grocery store, but I have not been in any restaurants in terms of dining in or anything like that. Haven't been to the mall, not that I would go anyways. So this sort of self-imposed quarantine before we got the stay-at-home order from J.B. Pritzker. This, of course, for the Illini or the Illinois residents in the audience. Now, it is a constantly evolving story and a constantly evolving reality that we live in. I got to be honest, though, it's starting to strike me that when I wake up in the morning, this new reality, I'm just sort of used to, right? That's pretty much it. I wake up and I don't have that same sort of pit in my stomach as I did, let's say, a week ago, because it seems like we are sort of settling in for better and unfortunately for a lot worse, I think, when it comes to COVID-19. We're settling into what this reality is and what it means for our day-to-day lives. Now, I did say this on the last podcast, and it bears repeating, that you know, Karen and I are fortunate that with the jobs that we have in education, we look to be okay financially and job security-wise through this crisis. Let's call it what it is. It is a crisis, both health and economic. But not a lot of people have that same sort of security. One thing that I was thinking about recently is all the service industry people. As someone that's been in bands for over half my life, I've gotten a lot of service industry people along the way. And they are in a tough spot right here where fortunately restaurants can stay open and they can do the takeout and they can do the delivery to some extent, but that's still taking away a lot of money and there's naturally going to be layoffs from that. I think of the music industry and I'm not talking necessarily the big name acts that, oh, well, they have to take the summer off. I think Dave Matthews will be fine. But for a lot of people in the music industry, sound guys or so sound engineers, venues, smaller venues like theaters and clubs. In bars, even the ones in Champaign-Urbana, I think if this goes on for two months, and then when is it okay to start having gatherings again, it's going to be a whole process, and I hope that they can come out the other end and still be okay. But that's economically where my head has been, is not so much, fortunately, my situation. I consider myself and Kara very lucky in that regard, but for people that are living in a reality where they don't know if their next check is going to come or if they'll be employed within the next week unemployment's going to go up. We're going to see economically damn near close to a depression, maybe when all said and done. And when the recession happened back in 2008, I was a senior, my senior year at UIUC in journalism, which is not really the field that you wanted to be going into when you saw all the, you know, the Rocky Mountain News, I think out in Denver, because the Denver Post is still there, but the Rocky Mountain News shut down in 2008, 2009. And two weeks before we graduated, One of our professors showed us a documentary about that, and it's like, great, I I sure went in the right profession. Why couldn't I have been an accountant like my parents or sister? But regardless, I do remember living through that, and it was a young enough age where it wasn't as scary as, let's say, this is right here. Or 9-11 is the other comparison people use of a transformative time in American history, and I remember living through that. But for a 15-year-old in Champaign-Urbana, 14 going on 15, it didn't really change my day-to-day. Certainly, we were all shell-shocked after it. Security measures were tight at Illinois football games for a little bit. And then, of course, when the Bears came in the next year. But other than that, I can't really say that my reality changed. We weren't flying, so air travel wasn't really affected for our family. My day-to-day life didn't change. My day-to-day life certainly has changed. But compared to the changes others have to deal with, it's pretty minor, right? So I do want to start off by saying that I recognize the advantageous position I'm in because of being a teacher and we're starting e-learning next week and I'm excited to get back to any sort of teaching, any sort of normalcy, even though it will be different to be delivering lectures via Zoom 
to 11 and 12 year olds for those that care to tune in. We aren't really requiring, I don't think, kids to tune in because they got their own issues to deal with. Their families got their own issues to deal with. So it is a situation where a lot of these things that we, I don't know, take for granted, but at least get used to in our day-to-day lives, they're secondary now. Secondary to the fact that we just want to come out on the other side of this and hopefully be okay. Now, what does okay look like? I don't know. You don't know. None of us know. With as quickly as things change day to day, it's hard to make any predictions beyond tonight. I can't even say what Tuesday is going to look like. For all I know, something's going to happen that's going to date this podcast as quickly as things are moving. In Champaign-Urbana, our reality so far is a little bit different. New York City, of course, that's a hotbed. There's an outbreak going on in New York City. It's really scary what's going on there. And as someone that's been to New York City, I think, eight times in my life, my favorite place to travel, period. I absolutely love that city. And to think about the panic that's beginning to set in over there, especially in hospitals where there simply are not enough beds and there are not enough ventilators when the rush continues to come in over the next week or two. And yet somehow we sit here on Monday, March 23rd, and there have been a grand total of three confirmed cases in Champaign-Urbana. Here we are, this community right in the middle of Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis. Always a hotbed for people traveling in, for the university especially, and yet we sit here and we only have three confirmed cases. I don't know how that is. I know there's more people in this community that have it. There's no way we could be that lucky, right? But what I would hope for, locally at least, is that if we hunker down for these next two weeks, we can emerge in April and maybe gradually ramp things back up to normalcy. But maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to hold on to threads of hope And locally, I'm able to do that a little bit. So that's just sort of musings on what's going on. I feel like it's unavoidable. You know, I could come in here and talk sports. Unfortunately, now I have to talk about things that happened 19 years ago in order to fill the sports part of this show. But this is our reality, and I don't want to add to the noise. I just wanted to share kind of how I'm feeling, and I hope that you, the listener, are just taking care of yourselves and your families and your friends, staying in touch. We started to do happy hour Zoom sessions with me and six friends of ours. It was my niece's seventh birthday on Saturday, so we did a FaceTime for her presence and for blowing out the candles, and that was nice. But it does make you appreciate normalcy and the fact that what I would give to have been at my niece's seventh birthday party or what I would give to... I know this might sound crazy, to go back to school tomorrow, even with the kids that might be a little bit of a pain in the neck, what I would give for those kids to be a pain in the neck in the classroom setting. You know, these things that even we, (laughs) the frustrations we get on a day-to-day life, I'm starting to think, man, that wasn't so bad. So if there is a recalibration that we can take from all this, maybe it is that normal life, um, there are these little things that we don't appreciate in the moment and that when they are gone, you begin to miss them and you begin to value them for what they are. Even those little triggers or frustrations of which everybody has them, no matter what profession you got. Okay. So that's the little spiel about where we're at with COVID-19. Of course, that's going to be lingering for the foreseeable future. I would love to think that this summer I can go to some concerts. I'm not holding my breath on it, Uh, but it is an Illini podcast. So what we're going to be doing in this one is doing a little bit of remember when. And the 2000-2001 Illini basketball team will always be one of my favorites. As it stands right now, I got this on YouTube. It is Illinois, one seed versus four seed Kansas, 17 minutes ago in the fourth, sorry, the second half, 43-32 to Illinois lead. Frank Williams has been dominant. 
Now, wouldn't you know it, though? Demir Kripalia just went to the bench with his fourth foul. And as I looked at the box score for this game, three Illini players fouled out. So if that wasn't foreshadowing for what was going to happen two days later against Arizona, I don't know what is. But as I look at this here, it would have been Brian Cook, Marcus Griffin, and Demir Krupalia each fouled out of the game. Archibald, who just came in for Kapalia, he ends up with four. So there were 26 total fouls called on Illinois. Meanwhile, there were 23 called on Kansas. So I guess the disparity wasn't that crazy. But fortunately, Illinois was just kicking ass that night. And what I remember about that game is it was a Friday, a Friday night, maybe like an 8.30 start. I think it was the last game of the night in San Antonio. And I had just been getting over the stomach flu. And there was this band competition. I was a middle school band in the percussion section. And there was this middle school band competition over in Danville, let's say 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd gotten over my sickness, but I was still feeling kind of weak. And I had to eat, you know, peanut butter on bread. I, I wasn't really digesting everything completely. So we go to this thing, but of course my mind is on the game that night because already for me, you know, I was way too young to remember the 89 team. I was two and a half. So I don't remember anything from it except VHS tapes that I watched years later. Being in the Sweet 16 was a big deal. Making the second weekend of the tournament, this is the first time in my conscious memory that Illinois had done that. So Kansas awaits. They're a four seed. They're a blue blood. And you recognize that at the time, even before Bill Self went there. And I thought, man, just why does it have to be probably Kansas, Arizona in the way of this team getting to a Final Four? Why does it have to be those two teams? Why couldn't we have gotten some lucky breaks in terms of, you know, like in 2005, Wisconsin-Milwaukee? They're your Sweet 16 matchup, a 13 seed, not a four seed Kansas team that was loaded, but they didn't have a lot of depth. In fact, it was, I think, I can't tell if it was Musburger or not, but Bill Walton, of course, is on the color commentary for this game. And at the start of it, they mentioned that one advantage for Illinois was going to be their depth, because if you look back to that 2000-2001 team, they went nine deep without any problem at all. Frank, Sergio, Corey, Brian, Marcus, Lucas, Demir, Arch, Harrington. In this game, we even got to see Joe Cross, Jarence Howard, and Brett Melton, but you went nine deep, nine guys that you could trust. And right now I'm looking at a lineup that includes Lucas Johnson, Sean Harrington, Marcus Griffin, Serge, and Frank. And there were so many different combinations he could go with, which speaks to the program that Lon Kruger built up and Bill self-maximized. So anyways, we're sitting here with a 12-point Illinois lead with 15.50 to go. Now it's a 10-point lead, 45-35. Kansas kind of hanging in there. And at this point, you know, sixth grade me is still a little bit nervous. I'm sorry, it's an eight-point lead for Illinois. I'm a little bit nervous thinking, you know, I know what Kansas is capable of. I think Drew Gooden had actually been out for about five or six games that year because of broken wrist and that they were a much higher-ranked team until they went on a bit of a schneid when he was out. It was Drew Gooden, Nick Hollison, Kirk Heinrich, And let's see, I want to say there was an Anthony guy on there. Let's see, if I look at their roster real quick, you also included Kenny Gregory, sorry, Jeff Boshi, who was a shooter who did not have a very good game against Illinois, one for seven from three. Drew Gooden, Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich, Eric Chenoweth was the only other guy on the bench that got significant minutes. So they went six deep to your nine. And you started to see that play out as this game went on, even though Illinois was getting fouls called left and right on them. But that day at this band competition in Danville, we get through it. Urbana Middle School had a great band program. I sound like a bit of a geek now, but please forgive me. And as we're on the way home, I'm just zoned in. I'm ready for this game, but you got to wait. You got to wait until 8, 8.30. At least it felt really late when it finally came on. We had a couple neighborhood friends over. We get the monocles. I think it was the first time I was able to eat normal food. I was running on adrenaline thinking, oh my God, if we win this, we're just a win away from the final four. And it was so close that you could taste it at this point. 
Well, what ended up happening in this game is Illinois runs away with it. Right now, it's a seven-point lead, and they went on to win this game by 16, 80-64. So with 15 minutes to go, Illinois has got 45 points. That means offensively, they're going to go on a nice little run here. And Frank Williams, of course, the catalyst for all of it, 30 points for him. And then your second leading score in this game, surprisingly, was Lucas Johnson at 15. Not everybody had a great game. If I look at, let's see here. Corey Bradford, he ended up going, my guy, Corey Bradford, Corey ended up going one for 13 from the field, which is unheard of. One for nine from three. He did get one three-pointer, so that streak continued. You also had Brian Cook only with six points, Marcus Griffin with two, Serge with a nice game, 10 points, Demir with seven off the bench, he had a nice game, Archibald with four before he erupted against Arizona, and then Harrington with zero. So you have all these kind of hot and cold performances offensively from Illinois. But the difference is, as I see Frank get a steal and keep the ball in bounds, and he just owned Kirk Heinrich. That's not hyperbole. He punked him that game, which makes you wish that Frank could have had a more successful career in the pros because we all know he was better than Heinrich. But Heinrich, whatever it took to be the better pro, he found that thing, right? But even though my parents had friends over that night, I decided I was going to watch it up in our playroom. So our little rec room above the garage where I could be by myself. And if I got angry, which I often did at that age when Illinois was not playing well, I would not be making an ass of myself. But I didn't have any moments to get angry. I would go downstairs every media timeout or so, just checking with my parents and their friends like, yeah, okay, looking good so far. And I kind of kept waiting for the other shoe to drop just because this was uncharted territory for me as a fan. I felt kind of uncomfortable being in the Sweet 16 thing, even though I shouldn't have been as good as this team was. It should not have been a surprise that they'd make it this far and that they would probably win this game. But there was still this weird thing of, I don't know if Illinois is ready. Kansas is Kansas. They got Roy Williams. They got all these guys that you see on SportsCenter every night, even though, wait a second, we're the one seed. And this is the thing about that Illinois team that I respect so much about that collection of guys. Frank was a singular talent. Brian Cook was a singular talent. Corey Bradford was a workman-like shooting guard. And then, of course, he had all the bigs. Marcus Griffin, Robert Archibald. I'll put Demir and Lucas in there as well. And then Serge, who was sort of jack-of-all-trades. But you really had one superstar in Frank, and you still had a sophomore at that age, Brian Cook who was getting better, but you know he wasn't senior year Brian Cook. One superstar, okay? And I look at Kansas, and you know that if Kirk Heinrich or Nick Collison or Drew Gooden goes off, all those guys could be every bit as good as Frank on a given night. Well, it didn't happen this night. Frank was in the zone. Serge was in the zone. A kind of, I don't want to say forgotten or underappreciated piece of Illini history because Serge brought really the Pied Piper of sorts, all these guys in with him when he came in for Lon Kruger. But it was a total team effort. This Illinois team was greater than the sum of its parts, to use a cliche. So as I'm watching this game, though, now there's 13.35 to go. Illinois is up 51 to 43. Kansas just hanging around, keeping it single digits. But they can't get closer than about seven points. They just can't find their way closer than that because Illinois' defense was so stout on that night. And really, it was stout the entire year. So an air ball three there from Kansas is 13.20 to go. It's an eight-point lead for Illinois, 51 to 43. Jeff Boshi. A rough night for him, which it was so weird because that game started. I'm like, Jeff Boshi and Kirk Heinrich look the same. But you know my thing about white basketball players. I have a particular issue with that. Okay, so anyways, as Frank Williams is bringing the ball up, I began to get comfortable with this game probably at the 12-minute mark when another media timeout passed and Illinois was just sort of keeping Kansas at arm's length, keeping them a distance that was comfortable knowing that if it came down to a stop or two, I felt like Illinois could get that regardless of Kansas or any other team. And it's really what makes that Arizona game all the more frustrating in that you didn't play all that well to begin with, and yet you still found yourself in that game the entire way. 
the 38 fouls or whatever ridiculous number were called. You were there the entire time because of how tough you were, especially defensively. That whole season, though, I mentioned earlier how that was sort of a transformative year for me as a fan. Now, 1999, Big Ten Tournament, of course, that was like, whoa, this can be a lot of fun. But really, it wasn't until Bill Self came here that I realized that, well, we can be top of the heap. Lon Kruger got you to a certain point, basically top 20 sort of area by the time he left. But there was something missing as evidenced by the way Florida just killed Illinois in that NCAA tournament game, Lon Kruger's last game as a coach. So when Bill Self was hired that July, I distinctly remember the press conference, maybe mid-early afternoon. It was before I went to Windsor Swim Club up in Urbana, before I rode my bike up there. And I remember watching it and thinking, this guy seems pretty cool. And I knew that Tulsa had a great run in the NCAA tournament, Elite Eight. They beat North Carolina, I think, to get to that point. They were something like 31-4, and a really gaudy record. But man, he talked the talk, and he had this swagger about him that I thought, okay, this could work. And then you get the stories out of training camp, you know, where he wears the army fatigues early on in the fall practices and really sets the tone that we got to step this up a little bit. And I think he understood that he had a lot of depth to work with, that he could go nine deep and that he could afford to tell these guys for the 25 minutes that you're out there each, you got to go for it. And that was something that did differentiate the Bill self Illini teams from the Lon Kruger teams, as good as Lon Kruger is, all-time coach, and one of the best coaches, even for the five years he was here at Illinois, one of the best coaches in our program's history. Set everything up beautifully for Bill Self. But there was this kind of hump that I don't know if Lon Kruger would have gotten over. He would have maintained a really good program. Bill Self, though, of course, took you to the upper echelon immediately. For that team, there were a few moments in the non-conference that signaled that they were as good as our best-case scenario. The first one would have probably been the Maui Invitational. Now, they lost to Arizona in that Maui Invitational, the first of three matchups against them, but it was a great game. And in all those other games that you played, I want to say Maryland might have been one of them too, you looked the part. And in fact, here's how the season started. You opened against Maine at home and you beat them by 29, so no big deal. Then you went to the Maui Invitational. You beat UNLV 74 to 69. You beat Maryland, sixth ranked Maryland, 90 to 80. And then you lost to Arizona, number one in the country, by three. And it's not as if that was a surprise because Illinois was ranked preseason number eight and they stayed in that top 10 really all the way through except for one week in January. I think that was after a loss to Iowa. But anyways, in the non-conference, it was the Maryland win. It was the three-point loss to Arizona where you almost ended up winning that game. I think a late comeback as well. It was a neutral site game against Duke where you lost by one. And you're thinking, we're hanging with all the best teams in the country. That was two losses by combined four points to number one Arizona and then number one Duke. See, you knew you were right there. The Arizona game at the United Center, December 16th, may be my favorite United Center game, period, where Lute Olsen was getting super pissed off. You ended up winning 81-73. to At that point, they were still seventh in the country. They had as much depth as you did, and I think that was the one matchup that Illinois could not afford to face in terms of depth, even with all the fouls that Illinois had to give. Unfortunately, not enough. And then the Missouri game, of course, too, where you ended up winning that 86-81 to in OT. That was the Frank Williams show late as many games that season often were. So you knew by the time that we hit the new year in 2001 that this was a team that could make that deep tournament run. But again, there was still this sort of mental block that I had just because I had not experienced it before, getting past the second weekend. Well, you did. And I think it was Charlotte, if I recall here. You beat Charlotte by 18 points. And even as that game got late, I was still tight and tense because it just felt, again, unfamiliar. I had not been there before, but you get over that hump. And I remember that Sunday afternoon after Illinois had beaten Charlotte thinking, we can do this. 
we can do this. We had been at Legends that day, which was sort of a hangout for these games. And you could start to feel the sense of, well, what the hell? You know, why, why not this team? But that Friday night against this Kansas team in particular was the one where it felt like, oh my God, I know it's Arizona standing in our way, but the way this team was playing and the fact that you beat Kansas by 16 points, even though Corey couldn't hit anything that night as he just got called for an offensive foul there driving to the hoop, went one for 13 from the field. But in my simple, you know, middle school mind, and maybe it's not all that simple, I, I sometimes still think this way. I think, well, all you need to do is be one point better than this team for 40 minutes. I had that same thought. And by the way, it was Dick Enberg on the call with Bill Walton. Poor Dick Enberg. He's doing the best he can out there. But I remember thinking, you know, why can't we be better than Arizona? We've already played them twice. Just give me 40 minutes where we're one point better than this Arizona team that, of course, was loaded. Lauren Woods, Michael Wright, Richard Jefferson, Gilbert Arenas, Jason Gardner, Luke Walton, of course. That's their six deep. But before I go down that rabbit hole, because that puts a bitter taste in our mouths from the 2001 season, back to this Illinois-Kansas game. So here we are. We're eight minutes to go. There's a seven-point Illinois lead after a really good hook from Sergio McClain. This thing had gotten to five points, and Illinois had to take a timeout with about nine minutes to go. Frank Williams misses a kind of floater there. There's eight minutes to go, and Kansas brings it right back, and it looks to be an offensive foul call on Drew Gooden. So at the eight-minute mark, an immediate timeout, Illinois with a seven-point lead. So that means in the next eight minutes... Illinois is going to outscore Kansas 19 to 10, outscore him by nine when it matters the most. If I recall, it's Frank Williams that really turns it on because he turned it on the first half. I think in these last eight minutes, it's all about him. As Drew Gooden, wouldn't you know it, he picks up his fourth foul. Quick note on Drew Gooden. He has hair in this matchup. The next year, I think he shaved his head or something like that. He looked different, and he was their guy because Nick Collison had graduated at that point, but I think Kirk Heinrich was still there. Illinois, of course, lost to Kansas. They flipped the seedings, right? Kansas was a one seed in 2002. Illinois was a four. It was up at Kohl Center. Lante can tell you all about it because he was up there to cover it. But Drew Gooden was a stud. And it, it really angered me. I don't know what it was about Drew Gooden. He's kind of a gangly guy. You know, it's so easy to project your dislike of an entire program on one guy. And for some reason, Drew Gooden, more than Kirk Heinrich, more than Nick Hollis, and the guys that, if they were on Wisconsin, would have bothered me far more than Drew Gooden would. For some reason, Drew Gooden, a Kansas, really annoyed me. And two days after that loss to Kansas in the Sweet 16, this is 2002, I remember watching Kansas beat Oregon, which was a two seed that year, and it felt like, man, if we can get past stupid Kansas, we can beat Oregon. I don't know if we would have or not, but he said something like, yeah, you know, I knew I had to clip my toenails because we'd be running up and down the court. And my dad and I were watching that together, and we just said, what a doofus. What an absolute doofus. Well, I say that, Drew Gooden, again, long NBA career. That's how many great players these really good Illinois teams had to play in the NCAA tournament in 2001. How many pros between Kansas and Arizona? We can count them. Nick Hollison, Kirk Heinrich, Drew Gooden for sure. And then in Arizona, you would have had Lauren Woods, I think, had a stint. Gilbert Arenas for sure. Richard Jefferson, yeah. Luke Walton. At least seven that had significant NBA careers. I cannot remember if Jason Gardner made it or Michael Wright, but at least seven in these two games. Illinois, meanwhile, they had, well, Brian Cook had a decent career and Frank had a few years, but that's really it for NBA talent. That's why that 2001 team, it was sort of like 1998, the team that unexpectedly won a Big Ten title despite not having any superstars. That was the Kevin Turner, Chris Gandy, Matt Heldman team. 
the 2001 team was like taking that same template, but just injecting it with steroids because as good and as fun as that 1998 team was, one of the best stories in Illini basketball history, all the, the five seniors, the starting five that ended up winning an unexpected Big Ten title. This team was big and bruising. That was the style of play in the 2001 year for Illinois. And of course, instilled by Bill Self. But I do wonder, you know, just sort of like the 2005 thing. And why did it have to be North Carolina? Why couldn't they have lost, I think, Villanova in the Elite Eight, if I recall it, a Villanova team that took them to the limit? Or maybe it was the second round, like an eight-seed Villanova. Why couldn't that have happened? We all knew that Michigan State probably wasn't going to beat North Carolina in 05. You know, we settled in after Illinois beat Louisville thinking, well, maybe, you know, we'd rather get Michigan State than North Carolina. Well, unfortunately, you got the team whose sixth man was the number two pick in the NBA draft. I get that this happens in the NCAA tournament. I don't want to play the world's smallest violin because Illinois, compared to a lot of programs, has had some tournament success. We just haven't climbed that mountain all the way. And this 2001 team was an example of a team that, given matchups, could have found their way to the final. And they could have won a national championship. And that's what makes it you know, so bittersweet, I guess, to reflect on a team that could have had a path, but they had all the tough matchups there. I remember being particularly frustrated because the same day that Illinois lost to Arizona in 2001, that Sunday, Michigan State made the Final Four. Now, keep in mind, when Illinois and Michigan State played in February, it was the first paint the Hall orange game. Illinois ends up winning that, I think, 67-61. Great game, of course, high-level basketball, but it felt like Illinois was better than that Michigan State team, which still had Andre Hudson, Charlie Bell, Jason Richardson, Zach Randolph. So they were plenty good, trust me. Again, more NBA talent than Illinois had. But the start of that Sunday, the Elite Eight, Michigan State beat Temple, which I, I recall was like an 11 seed. You know, and it was a great run. It's not like Temple wasn't a worthy opponent, but they weren't Arizona. And I remember thinking, you know, I get it. I understand that there's breaks and seeding and you get upsets and these teams make runs and then ultimately kind of fizzle out when they play really high-level competition. Why couldn't we get Temple? We would have beaten Temple. We'd be in the Final Four. We'd have no, another banner to hang. Because you don't hang banners for Elite Eights. And that's where the 2001 team, you know, they're, they're placing Illini history secure because for those who live through it, they remember how much fun that team was to watch. Big Ten champions, well, co, I think there were four Big Ten champions that year. Getting the one seed for the first time since 89, much deserved. You know, so it's not as if they are going underappreciated, but I would love for one more banner to be up in the stadium for them. I think of, you know, the Big Ten tournament where they lost to Indiana on that Saturday, and I was actually sweating it out on Selection Sunday thinking, are we going to get a one seed? I had to go distract myself because, for one, I couldn't watch Illinois in the Big Ten tournament final. And for another, I had to somehow get to 530 without going crazy. And then I think Illinois might have been the second team listed as a one seed. I had nothing to worry about. But for some reason, I couldn't shake that thought of, oh, God, what if we fall the two line? I want that one seed so bad. Okay, so here we are, 542 to go in the game. It's 62 to 54, Illinois with the lead. Lucas Johnson doing the Lucas Johnson thing with an offensive rebound. He gets called for a foul, and you can tell by the expression on his face. Again, as fun as it is to watch this game, you can see the seeds of, oh no, are we going to get screwed in this thing beginning to happen right now? Now, I cannot recall if it was Ludol. I know Lute Olson was doing a little bit of pregame campaigning, trying to get in the heads of the officials about, well, this is how Illinois plays. You need to watch for their physicality. Roy Williams, for all I know, could have been complaining after this game as well. But man, as I'm watching this replay, I'm starting to think, damn it, what foreshadowing? I'm seeing all the fouls getting called. So it's right now 62-54 to again with 5.42 to go. Nick Collison's at the line. 
weird addition by subtraction, the fact that he was not on that team the following year for Kansas, and yet they got the one seed. I'd have to go back and see what they added to their roster because this roster, as is for Kansas, is loaded. Actually, you know, that's my mistake. Nick Collison was there. So here's their 2002 roster. This is how loaded that Kansas team was. They still have Drew Gooden, Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich. Okay, so one, two, three. Jeff Boshi as a senior. Three-point shooter. Here are your freshmen. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Keith Langford, Aaron Miles, Wayne Simeon. Six NBA players. Six. Absolutely insane. That's a blue blood. We, we knew that, and that's why I hated having been even in the same pod as Kansas the year after that, where Illinois ended up beating, I think, Creighton? Is that right? Well, Illinois won the first game against like San Diego State, and if I recall, freshman Luther Head, he had a really monster dunk in that game. Creighton got the buzzer beater against five-seed Florida. And then it was Illinois that got a bit of a break there facing Kyle Korver and Creighton in the second round. They win that at the United Center, and then they set themselves up for Sweet 16 at the Cole Center. Now, hey, look at here. Brian Cook with 5'10 to go. He fouls out of the game. So again, I hate this foreshadowing. It's a seven-point game as Kansas goes the line with five minutes to go. A lot more uncertainty in this game than I remember. Maybe it's just the last four minutes are terrific because Illinois has got to somehow get 18 points in five minutes here. As Nick Hollison goes to the line, he's wearing one of those oversized t-shirts under his jersey, which I absolutely hated those. Doesn't make any sense. As he makes the first free throw, it's a six-point Illinois lead with 5'10 to go. Tense times is on the bench. You got Serge. You got Demir was in foul trouble as well. Brian Cook out of the game. But I see Frank over the shoulder, and I know things are going to be all right as he tells the team to box out. Okay, so Nick Hollison's second free throw is up and good. It's a five-point lead with 5'10 to go. Roy Williams... Actually, I don't really blame Roy Williams for the whole Bill Self leaving, as we have probably covered before. If Matt Doherty just had not stunk at UNC, things would have worked out fine. You know, I mean, Roy Williams would have stayed at Kansas until the end, or at least for a little bit longer, and then Bill Self would have won a national title. Yeah, let's not do that exercise. 450 to go, Frank with the ball, and I get the feeling he's going to do something here with 10 on the shot clock. He shoots a three. He's a killer. He makes it. That's one of those things. I just had a moment where I miss having Isaac and Trevor down here because as fun as it is to do the solo pods, let's be real, we've all been isolated enough. So it is fun to talk with people. And if Isaac had been, you know, 22 year old version of himself back in 2001, he would have probably had a hearty let's go after Frank nailed that three. So it's an eight point Illinois lead with 420 to go as Drew Gooden takes a three and he misses it badly and then eh, board here for I think that. Gregory guy for Kansas. He shoots a three. It's up. It is no good. And then Lucas keeps it in bounds. He shoots a three, ends up missing it. So Kansas again with the ball with an only eight point deficit. Now it's under four minutes. There's 350 to go, but I'm trying to still remember how Illinois scores 15 points in under four minutes, which I guess happened a few years later against Arizona in the 2005 tournament. Something about the last four minutes against really good basketball teams in the NCAA tournament. Illinois does well. Okay, so here's Kansas with a nice little take here from Heinrich. He gets blocked, no foul called, which, considering the way that officials were calling the rest of that game, is kind of surprising. Frank finds Corey for three, no good, but a board here, no problem for Arch. And they set it back up top. Oh, no, a bad pass intercepted by Heinrich. He takes it to the hoop, and he misses a layup, but they call the foul on Griff. And why do I get the feeling that's going to be his fifth? Oh, God. Now, at this point, though, I'm looking at the clock. 12-year-old me. How old was I at this point? 2001? I would have been 14, sorry. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm starting to count the seconds now, thinking we're so close to just winning this game. Marcus Griffin, oh, what do you know? He fouled out. Two points. Unfortunately, that 
struggle continued against Arizona. But I'm thinking, okay, well, we can do this. We, we got this. I'm seeing this team huddle up right now, and God dang, man. You know, Bill Self, college basketball Hall of Famer, goes with that saying. And we knew when he was here how special he was, because otherwise there wouldn't have been the outpouring of, stay, coach, we love you, back in 2003, when I think it was Mix 94.5 handed out the I Love Myself t-shirts, and me and a few friends went to the Holiday Inn. I mean, there were a couple thousand Illini fans there greeting the team as they came in. And if I remember Jay Mariotti from the sun times was down there and he had a, he felt like he had a scoop or something like, Oh, Bill self told me that he was going to stay something like that. But the whole team, including Bill self, they walk in and all the fans are greeting them wearing these. I love myself t-shirts. And we took one of those t-shirts back to the UHS newspaper office, the echo and me and a friend, uh, Michael Murphy, we tore that poor t-shirt to shreds. It was sort of our voodoo doll. We figured if we just cut it up enough and you sharpie and just, you know, take take that shirt and beat it up to hell, that somehow we're going to bring the good karma back to Illinois and the bad karma to Bill Self for leaving us. And in a pre-Twitter world, it was that much easier for rumors to just kind of spread via text and everything like that, where my dad and I are sitting at the spring game. Why we went to a spring game in the Ron Turner era? I don't know. Maybe that was after the Sugar Bowl. I think it was. And we get a text from our cousin, Danny, who lives up in Iowa saying, you know, hey, I heard that he's going to stay. Now, where he heard that from, I don't know. That was when Illinois loyalty or Illini board, I'm sorry, that was the big one. Illini board was sort of the online Twitter. The best that you could do if you were an Illini fan or any basketball fan is find a message board. Okay, so six point leader for Illinois, 310 to go, 65 to 59. Frank has the ball, so I'm not worried right now. I just know he's, he's going to do something great any second now, because we got to get 15 points in three minutes here. How we do that, I don't know. Okay, Arch, nice entry from Lucas, and Arch gets fouled going up, so it looks like he's going to go the line for a couple. It is a little bizarre, because I had not reflected a whole lot when it happened about Arch passing away, but it is a little bit bizarre to see him in action here and think that's only 19 years ago, so I mean, he would have been at the most 40. I don't know, it just brings that somber point home again as we sit here a couple months later. Arch with the first free throw, all good. So seven-point lead for Illinois. Chewing gum, no problem. That's the other thing about this team is just the swagger that these guys had. Absolutely love it. Okay, so Arch, he had a decent game off the bench, five boards, three points. Will he make it a fourth and increase this Illinois lead? We could use it. But it is a three-possession lead for Illinois with 2.55 to go. Second one is up. No good. Man, Kansas hung around. Okay, so this was at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio where the Spurs played, where you got basically half of the stadium curtained off. And in this basketball setup, they still could fit like 30,000 people in there. A lot of Kansas fans, but a good segment of Orange. A lot of people who probably just drove down there the 10, 11 hours it took. Missed shot here for Kansas, Illinois with the board. And now I'm still wondering, how do we get 14 points in 230? Frank with the ball. So I'm guessing we're going to make a lot of free throws coming up here. But that also means that Kansas only scores five more points here. So somehow we really accelerate the offenses. The Illini faithful are up, standing, going crazy. Definitely, I don't know, I'd say about 70,000 Illini fans there. Frank takes it to the basket, lays it up. Oh, no, gets his own tip back. <laughs> he gives a motion to the ref like, uh, can I get the foul on that, please? Because there was definitely contact on it. All right, 68-59, Illinois with the lead, two minutes to go. Here is an entry pass to... Gooden, I think. Well, it's a foul on Krupalia. That'll be his fifth. That probably was a foul there. But man, this is what makes this bittersweet to watch again is knowing that the identity of Illinois as being some sort of dirty team, it's starting to unfold. And we're starting to see the refs take note. And I did not expect that carryover effect to 
continuing the next game like that. But stat line for Frank right now, 24 points, 6 rebounds. Again, absolute killer. So the guys who didn't foul out, you still got Frank and you got Corey. Lucas Johnson, I do not think foul out. Arch is going to play the rest of the game, which good thing he gets some reps right now because they're going to need him in two days from now. Bill Self looking cool as ever. And it looks like Rob Judson and Billy Gillespie. And was it Norm McRoberts? I think that was the staff there for Bill Self this first year. All right, so a minute 58 to go. Illinois just needs to ice this thing. But Kansas is going to the line. They're going to get five more points. Illinois is going to get 12. How? I don't know. Just a reminder before Drew Gooden. I hate that guy. He shoots a free throw. Uh, that DP Doe is a great place to order food online. And in these peculiar times, no better time to actually order from your local restaurants and places of business. DP Doe, if you go online to dpdoe.com, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you don't even need to leave the house, and they will bring you your own custom zone or one of your favorite zones, whatever it may be. Okay, Drew Gooden, he makes both free throws. It's a seven-point game. Can't shake him. A minute 58 to go, and then a little bit of full-court pressure from Kansas. Frank finds Lucas. Lucas has to skip it over, and he finds Surge, so they get across the timeline with 148 to go. Now Corey's in the corner, back up top to Frank, and we have about... 20 seconds on the shot clock because back then it was a 35 second shot clock even better and a nice find for surge for the dunk from frank always creating always making something happen 70 to 61 nate mast on the bench by the way i did not give him a proper shout out earlier but nate mast was on that line bench and a three good for kansas so they've scored their final points okay a three there from nick collison go figure 70 to 64 minute 24 to go this thing's not over yet but frank that feed to surge God dang, man, he was so good. It was no look. <laughs> Surge with a nice two-handed slam with authority with a minute 24 to go. Love these old CBS graphics, too. Um, this is They actually did have a score bug, and what I've noticed in the last week of watching old games, especially Chicago Bulls games from their 96 playoff run, is that it probably wasn't until about 99 or 2000 that you got the score bug on the corner of the screen. And I understand if younger people are like, well, how did you watch sports without knowing the time and the score all the time? And to them, I'd say that is the closest I have to walking uphill to school both ways in the snow, that, that sort of story. Okay, so here we go. Illinois with the ball, and there's actually a foul called on Kansas. So Illinois will go the lineup six with a minute 18 to go. That's the last thing Kansas wanted to happen there. Reminder as well, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For all your insurance needs in a time like this, trust the experts. Brian is one such expert, especially about insurance issues. And him and his whole staff, they are from Champaign-Urbana, so they have local interest at heart as well. Online at brianismyguy.com. So Frank, 24 points, 10 for 23 from the field. His first free throw is up, and it is in. It takes a nice little roll around the rim. Shooter's touch. Frank was never a great free throw shooter. But he was the kind that, sort of like Io, where if it came down to it, you trusted he'd make it. Now, oddly enough, I think Io did miss the final free throw he took against Iowa that made it possible for Iowa to maybe win that game. Doesn't that feel like that was two months ago? Frank here with the second free throw, Illinois up seven. It is up. It is good. Again, takes every bounce off that rim, and it goes right in for him. Soft touch, 72-64. And what this means is that in the next minute, 18, Kansas ain't going to score. And Illinois is going to score eight more times. So I'm guessing fouls will lead to another four of those points or so. But there has to be some sort of cherry on top that I'm forgetting about. Heinrich brings it across. Frank on him. Over to Boshi. 
Harrington gets a hand in his face before he shoots it. He misses a three. Lucas gets the board and gets fouled. He's going to the line. Looks like they got Gregory on Kansas with the foul there. Man, I tell you what, baggy shorts are one thing, but in the early 2000s, they reached the absolute zenith of bagginess. They look like gaucho pants. All right, minute five to go. And maybe someone fouled out for Kansas. Is that correct? Because Illinois is going over to talk to Bill Self real quick. And it looks like he's giving him a little bit of instruction. And was there a foul out for... Yeah, there was. In fact, get this. Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich both fouled out in this game. Heinrich leaving the court. And his stat line, he had 14 points on four of six shooting. And that's a good stat line. But we knew that the matchup in that game was going to be Kirk Heinrich, Frank Williams. And you could not have told me then that Frank Williams was not going to be as successful of a pro as Kirk Heinrich. I would have thought you were crazy. I remember when the Bulls drafted Kirk Heinrich, and I'm thinking, why? He's not that good. I saw Frank Williams ball on that guy before. Lucas misses the first free throw. Again, it's an eight-point lead with a minute five. Can't get this into double-digit territory yet. The second free throw for Lucas is up, and good. No problem. Good career for Lucas, and I remember the news when it came out that he had tore his ACL before his senior year, and he decided he was going to rehab it and come back even if it was only for like two and a half months, which it was. I understood why he did that. I don't know if it would have been any better had he taken that red shirt and come back to be with Brian Cook and the freshman that final year. It seemed like he really wanted to go out with the rest of those guys, and I totally get it. And here we have a miss and a foul on Illinois and a bit of a scrum on the floor. Arch getting physical and talking a little bit, Lucas as well. I can't tell what they called here because, again, Kansas doesn't score again. So here's what happened. Lucas Johnson was going up for the block, and as he came back down on Collison, he has his arm on Collison's shoulder and kind of looks like maybe he's going to drag him down. You know, Lucas did that. But he was our guy, so it was fine. You know, it wasn't an issue for us. Lucas getting people's grills and everything. And they did call it looks like a technical. The free throw is no good for Kansas. So I guess ball don't lie, as the kids would say. Lucas, by the way, still has hair here. Did he only shave it for his senior year? Because he's got a little bit of little blonde hair action going on. All right, second free throw is up and no good. Of course, because they aren't going to score again. So Kansas, I guess, gets the ball back from out of bounds. They took their two free throws. Then because of the technical, they get it right back. So with 57.1 to go, Illinois somehow going to score seven more times, Kansas zero. But I mean, I see a play like that. I'm thinking, oh no, the officials meet afterwards. They're like, you know what? On Sunday, we cannot allow any of that to happen. So we're going to overcompensate and call everything on Illinois. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Okay, so Kansas, what do you know? They missed that shot. Surge at the board over to Frank, and Frank will get fouled here, I'm guessing, and take it to the line. Yep, he gets fouled about half court there from Jeff Boshi. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that's Ballard, some other white guard for Kansas, which they had about 20 of them. All right, I can calm down now. This is the sort of decompression thing that sets in when you know that, oh, my God, we're going to win this game. Happened a lot with this team this year. Happened a ton with that team in 2001. They ended up going 27-6 and on the year. And Bill Self, pretty good first rodeo with this Illinois program. All right, Frank at the line. You know, when I talk about favorite players, I had to text my dad this because Jeremy's got a really cool poll going on at Illini Inquirer. It's an Illini player bracket. And right now it is Frank versus Derek Harper. Now for me, Derek Harper is sort of like a ghost. I, I never watched him live. And I remember growing up and being told how good he was, but I never experienced it myself. By that point, He was a veteran guard in the NBA, an unbelievable career. 
I mean, what, like 18 years in the NBA? Something crazy like that. As Frank makes both free throws and make this an 11-point game with 47.1 to go. But on this player bracket, it's Frank versus Derek Harper. Now, I assume that because of age bias, Frank is going to win. And, of course, I would cast my vote for Frank. But I did have to check with my dad. Who was better? And my dad said, Derek Harper. As Frank gets a steal here, and it looks like he's going to take it back and put this thing on ice. He takes it up for a layup. It is good. God, he was so good. But, yeah, my dad said Derek Harper was better. Not by a lot, but he was better. And certainly the pro career bears it out that he was one of the best to ever don an Illini uniform. And it seems like sometimes that early 80s era, again, I can't say forgotten about. It's just the passage of time. But between Eddie Johnson and Derek Harper and Ken Norman, right, those three guys, if if any of those guys would have been on a team like 2001, as much as we love Frank, I, I feel like those three guys would have been just as, if not more, impactful. The Illini faithful, they're going crazy here. Illinois, they can smell it. They're up 13 with 22 to go. And 14-year-old me, having downed about a quarter pizza from Monocles and all that red dressing, a couple breadsticks with nacho cheese, I'm feeling my oats right now. I might even be on my third Coke. Who knows? But I'm feeling good as Illinois is about to go to the Elite Eight. Knowing what awaits. Knowing what awaits because Arizona and Mississippi, and was it Mississippi State? I'm going to check this real quick. Had played before the two versus the three seed, and Arizona won by 10. So as I go back to that final real quick, 66 to 56, the first game of that night against Ole Miss. I'm sorry. 27 and 8, Ole Miss. Now, not to do this, this is going to be really painful, but looking at that Arizona team, I had mentioned before how many pros they had versus Illinois, and here's how many pros you did have. Five, Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, Lauren Woods, Luke Walton. Four? Okay, sorry about that. Four ended up going to the pros, but man, it sure felt like Michael Wright and Jason Gardner were a lot better than than that, because Jason Gardner was a great point guard, and Michael Wright was their small forward. Uh, or, or power forward, I guess. He was 6'7", but Richard Jefferson at 6'7", that was the guy that was just a phenomenal talent. Gilbert Arenas, good career. He also brought the gun into the locker room, I think, for the Wizards, and that kind of derailed whatever career he had going. But as I look at that Illinois and Arizona game, let's go to that real quick. Not to do this to you, but we have to because it was two days later. And everything that happened in that game for an Illinois team that deserved Doggone it, they deserve to go to the Final Four. Oh, by the way, Illinois has two more points to score with uh, 10 seconds to go. And how are they going to score it? Joe Cross? Is that right? I think so. So Joe Cross gets two points here to wrap things up for Illinois. How about that? 80-64. to Everyone's feeling good. Brett Melton even got some action in this game. Bill Self, Roy Williams. Little do they know that three years later they will be trading places. Well, no, sorry. Bill Self will be trading places with Roy Williams, and Roy is going to go to his alma mater in North Carolina. But for now, everything is bright in the Lanai world. They go to the Elite Eight with an 80-64 to win over Kansas. That was pretty fun. Uh, again, we're looking for programming here, full disclosure. But when I saw that tweet about this particular game, it was way too easy to start reminiscing about that team and that night in general and knowing how much fun that team was and that, God damn, they, they deserved a better fate than that as youtube quickly queues up the following year okay so right now and we're gonna end the podcast i'm not gonna do play by play on this but this is what we have here is oregon had just beaten texas by two points up at the coal center and of course the nightcap was illinois and kansas a much awaited rematch nick collison kirk heinrich with the three at the start of the game he makes it luther head was starting for illinois at this point i did not realize luther was already starting his freshman year so your starting lineup for illinois looks to be brian cook Robert Archibald, Frank, Luther, and Corey Bradford. 
All right. I did not know the Luther was already starting games his freshman year. But yeah, the 2001 team to play a little bit of remember when, which, you know, unfortunately is an exercise that we have to do without any games going on right now. I would like to think that in this moment, we too would be talking about the 2020 Illini team making the Sweet 16. You can't say that for certain. And it is okay in my mind to have ended the year the way that they did, all things considered, by beating your rival at home in dramatic fashion. Not many teams get to say that they ended their season on such a high note because God knows that the State Farm Center and then any Illini fan watching from their home, that Illinois-Iowa game was one of the most memorable parts of what was a very memorable season. But inevitably, there is that feeling of emptiness that we didn't even get the chance to see what might happen. You know, if Illinois gotten in, could they make a run? You're starting to see all these simulations. We did the last week of Illinois making the Elite Eight, making the Sweet 16. I fortunately, and I say fortunately because it would have been crushing to me, did not see simulations saying, well, Illinois is going to go to the Final Four. I didn't see any of that. That would be painful. You know, good news, but ultimately something that I don't want to hear about when there wasn't a tournament to begin with. But watching this replay right now and of course it's Illinois Kansas in 2002 and thinking well next year we'll be able to get back to that and I do think Illinois will be right back in the tournament next year and in my mind that's going to be two consecutive tournament teams for this program that needs to get back on that you know consistently making tournament sort of trend and there was something today that I thought was very interesting from Scott Ritchie and I don't disagree with this he had posted his preseason top 10 in the News Gazette he had Illinois 8th whether or not Io comes back. I don't disagree with that. I'm not saying that Illinois is going to enter the season eight. In fact, they probably won't enter the season ranked if Io isn't here. And I understand that because you want the proven commodity. If you're a voter living in, I don't know, Kansas, let's use that as an example. And you know that I would assume the best player is no longer there. You were not going to quickly say, well, Illinois is going to be even better this year. It's going to be a wait-and-see approach for a lot of people to see how all these new pieces fit together. But if you are banking, like Scott Ritchie is and I am, on Andre Corbello being a special player out of the gate, which I do, and you're banking on Adam Miller being a shot maker, which that was the one area of weakness. This team did not make enough consistent shots. And then the, not addition by subtraction, it's not that, but addition by virtue of Andre Corbello being a pure point guard. Iowa was not a pure point guard. He's not. He's a creator. But he's a shot maker. He creates shots for himself and sometimes for others, but he's not a pure point guard in the way that Andre Crabello is, which makes me think there is a trickle down for a Trent Frazier who struggled mightily in the last month and a half of the season, that there is a trickle down for a guy like Kofi who already had a monstrous year, but could have an even more monstrous sophomore season just by natural improvement. And also the fact that Andre Crabello could be that guy that will find him in a lot more creative ways than our guards were able to this year. It's the year older thing. It's the depth that you get at the wing position with the transfers. It's the idea that Alan Griffin can take that next step and be a star, which we saw signs of that this year. Leads me to believe, oh, DeMonte, how can we forget DeMonte? Your glue guy, which even with all that talent, I'm thinking, well, you know, DeMonte, I want him in the starting five. I trust him. And he started making shots at the end of the year. He was your best three-point shooter in the last month of the season. So I could see offensively a Chester Frazier senior year type thing for him where he doesn't shoot a lot, but he's efficient with it. And defensively, you know what you get. But the big point would be, and why I don't necessarily disagree with Scott Ritchie being very high on next year's team, regardless of Io coming back or not. And of course, Andres Feliz, which is a huge loss. Let's not kid ourselves. But whereas this team was a bruising, need to play downhill offensively kind of team, next year's team won't have to do that. 
Best case scenario, I understand that, but they shouldn't have to do that. When you got shooters like Alan Griffin, Adam Miller, and then Trent Frazier hopefully rejuvenated, and a pure point guard in Andre Corbello, offensively things are going to come a lot easier, and I don't think there's going to be a tremendous slippage defensively either. You got to hope that Kofi gets a little better not getting in foul trouble. I haven't mentioned Georgie's name, <laughs> um, not out, you know, intentionally or anything like that, but there's just so many more guys to talk about when you think about, well, what is next year's best case scenario without Io? So I'm with you, Scott. I am. I think that Illinois next year is a team that best case scenario can be a top 10 team. I think they can be a top three team in the Big Ten regardless because of the other teams that are losing some guys and the fact that it does feel like we are right there. You know, we're right there even at the prospect of losing Io that you have enough depth build up. So call me crazy, call Scott Ritchie crazy, but you know what? I'm, I'm feeling that optimism Maybe not top eight, but I do think next year's team will be top 25 for the most part if they come out of the gates, win some games early. This, of course, assuming that there is a season next year. Now, I'm I'm kidding. There will be. Hopefully, it'll be a season where we can actually go to the games and we feel comfortable doing that. You know, as quickly as news is moving, I need to start thinking about the events that I'm going to be going to in the future. Concerts, sporting events. Now, as I sit here today, if you said that Rage Against the Machines playing at Alpine tomorrow... I'd say, God, I really want to go see that. But I also don't want to be surrounded by 40,000 other people that may or may not have coronavirus, right? <laughs> I want to avoid that for now because not just for me, but I don't want to get people around me sick. I don't want to get my parents sick. I want to get Kara sick and eat that. But I really cannot wait to get back to that point where we can talk about the upcoming big game or the concert that we've been eyeing for years that we can't wait to go see Rage Against the Machine. They're back. First time in nine years. And the feeling that I and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are going to have when these things come back to us. Even just opening day of Major League Baseball, it could be in July and it doesn't matter. As long as it comes back and we're even just watching the game at home, just imagine the feeling of live sports returning. Last night I was on ESPN, which was the Ocho for a day, and there was a headbutting ping pong game. There was a combative juggling contest, and it's funny. But in a way, as you know, fascinating as these random sports on the Ocho were, I was also thinking, God, we're at a point where we have to do this. And sure, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's also, eh, you need some live sports entertainment, so here's some really wacky crap that we play once a year on ESPN. So what is a sort of novelty gag joke all of a sudden is legitimate live sports entertainment when there's no other place to get it? And that stinks. I mentioned earlier the little things we take for granted, and if there is one positive thing that could come from all this, it is recalibrating, appreciating those things that we just sort of have in our day-to-day lives, but we don't stop and smell the roses, to borrow a cliche. That is one positive thing that could happen from all this. I'm going to try to exercise that myself. I'm trying to exercise that myself day-to-day, whether it be walking the dog, (laughs) which I like doing anyways, but you start to realize that, well, I need to get outside more. I need to hang with the dog more. I need to, all these little things, talk with my friends more. Maybe set up something where all of us friends that are living far away from each other can do a Google Hangout happy hour every week. Things that you would not have done before this thing hit. So if at the end of it, we can somehow get out relatively healthy, because that's that's all a relative scale, of course, and economically not in complete dire straits. Maybe there are some positives we'll be able to take away from it, but God dang, I cannot wait for that first baseball game. I can't wait to get to fall basketball practice. Illini football, get back to me later on that. Bears football, get back to me later on that. Jimmy Graham, here's your $80 million. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too much. 
but there are certain cues that when those things come back, we'll know that things are returning to normal. Illinois basketball being first and foremost. When we will know, oh, right, there will be a season. It will start on time. We'll be able to go to the State Farm Center and keep this momentum rolling with Illini basketball. That would be something. And that feeling is going to be one of relief, but also jubilation. It's going to feel amazing when we know that things are returning to normal, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later. A reminder before I sign off for another solo pod, we're going to be getting these interview um, things hooked up here, whether it be Skype or some other method. I will get that figured out so we can actually have conversations. Thank you for indulging me in these solo podcasts. It's an outlet for me, a chance to be able to come down here and kind of get some things off my chest. And in these trying times, you need to be getting things off your chest, whether it be a text thread with friends or whether it be calling friends or family, whatever it is, any outlet that you have, use it so you don't let these things get pent up and start getting overly anxious, overly nervous or scared or fearful of everything going on. Because let's be real, uncharted territory, it's easy to do that. So we might do some more remember one things like this. I don't know how well it went. Ultimately, I hope it was at least a, a somewhat uh, you know compelling listen for you, a little trip down memory lane for what was one of my favorite Illini teams and always will be one of my favorite Illini teams. Uh, but before I go, just a reminder, you know, things are stopping. Things are shutting down except for essential businesses. And the good news is that those essential businesses include DP Doe, so a place they can get takeout and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Just make it easier on yourselves. Order online at dpdo.com. Custom zones, any toppings you want. They're all good. But they got some favorites as well. The one that I would get often was the Buffer Zone or the Maui Wowie. If you like the pineapple and ham thing, I know that's a controversial pick. But DP Doe, anything you put in a calzone tastes amazing. So go online to dpdo.com. Order your own zone. They'll deliver it to you anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. That's the place to get it. I'm not sure when Illini Union Bookstore is going to open back up. So stay home, go to fourthandkirby.com, coupon code 200 level or the 200 level to get 10% off your order. Buy two shirts, get one free. Double check that, but go to fourthandkirby.com. I'm pretty sure that is one of the things that they got going on right now, fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. For all your insurance needs and all of their representatives are born and raised in Champaign-Urbana, so their local interests are at heart. They are experts in, in a time when we need experts. Knowing Brian myself, I would highly recommend checking out brianismyguy.com. He will take care of you. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. And stay safe and stay healthy. And we will soon get back to live sports. Soon, I don't know, maybe three months or something. But even if that means that there aren't going to be any crowds for the foreseeable future, at least that moment of the first pitch or that moment of the first tip off at State Farm Center in November or the first kickoff, if you want, at Memorial Stadium in September, if that's something that gets you pumped up, these things will come back. The ways that we go to games or the ways that we interact at these large gatherings, they may change as well. But they will come back. So on that note, on a hopeful note, as I'm watching Illinois currently only trail by Kansas, one, one point right now, 12 to 11 in the 2002 Sweet 16. I know how this ends, but God dang, that was a pretty good Illini team too. We will soon not have to play Remember When and instead be playing, hey, how about that game coming up on Saturday? And that's what I'm looking forward to. So until next time, we will probably be back later this week. I'm going to try to do two podcasts each week. I will try to get the interview thing hooked up so we can do conversational podcasts with Isaac, with Trevor, Brightweiser, Lon, you name it. I'm going to try to get some people on here because I'm not the only one that's got a lot of time to kill. I think a lot of people that would be great guests have time to kill as well. Take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. It is the 200 level. 